This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate Now to become a supporter. This is former Husker Joe Gans, and if you're looking for a place where jocks and nerds can unite, you found it. You're listening to the Two-Headed Nerd Podcast with Joe and Matt. Sort of break it, break it down like this. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat in Omaha, deep below the metro area, it's my pleasure to welcome you to the penultimate fourth birthday edition of THN episode 199, where we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, February 25th. My name is Matt Baum. You can find me on the Twitter under the handle at Matt Baumstein. And when I'm not tripping on my Armani cape and falling down the goddamn stairs of the Brit Awards in front of the internet and everybody, I'm writing the Comic Speculator blog for point.com. I blame those assholes at Armani. I'm Joe Patrick. That's at JoePatrick116 on Twitter. And when I'm not being suspended from the official Grant Gustin fan boards after admitting to a cocaine and alcohol binge after watching the Gorilla Grodd episode of CW's The Flash, Spoilers. I'm the manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. It's sad. He's been clean for so long, folks. It's terrible. In this week's episode, you'll hear our reviews of Spider-Gwen and the Black Hood. After that, Joe and I will put on hoods of our own and dole out justice like lightning. Oh, man. Okay. I, I, didn't, I wasn't sure where you were going with that. <laughs> when we review 10 more of this week, like Jimmy Hats or what? I don't know. <laughs> Anything could have happened. When we review 10 more of this week's new comics during the ludicrous speed round, then what was it, the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we'll be using the TARDIS and fact-checking some of Bill O'Reilly's past claims that have come under question recently and discussing a couple of next week's comics. And finally, our good buddy Shonex from the Signed In Podcast joins us to tell you all about Mr. Sinister for another installment of Who the Hell is This Guy? But before we head down to the net neutrality parade, let's finish our barbecue ribs and this house of cards binge, and then we can talk about this week's Big news. I can't believe we're even recording. We should be watching it fucking now. I know, right? <laughs> I'm, I am watching it right now. I'm barely paying attention. <laughs> we got big news. Deadline has reported that comic writers Kelly Sue DeConnick and Matt Fraction have signed a two-year deal with Universal TV to adapt their creator-owned series as well as new original concepts. One of the first projects will be an adaptation of Sex Criminals by Fraction and Chip Zdarsky, a series featuring a couple... Who discover they can freeze time when they orgasm, then embark on a bank robbing spree. Oh, that old trope. If you've seen it once. Come on. You've seen it a thousand, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. Deadline describes the duo's production company as a quote unquote TV launchpad for not only these two creators projects, but other comic creators as well. Former Marvel editor Lauren Sankovich. Never heard of her. You don't pay attention. What has been hired as managing editor. Universal TV executive vice pre Universal TV executive vice president Bella Baharia never heard of her said quote <laughs> we're always excited to usher in fresh voices to the television space and we couldn't be more thrilled to partner with Matt and Kelly Sue a fantastic pair whose award-winning comics are as deeply realized as they are entertaining and quote while sex criminals may be their first priority Deconic and Fraction have a huge list of critically acclaimed comic hits to their names, Matt, is the world ready for the five-fifths of science TV adaptation that I've been praying for? Oh, I can't wait to get super high and watch Odyssey, I'll tell you that much. Um, you're going to have to be. That's going to be fucked up. <laughs> you will have to be. Uh, this is great. This is totally great. And I, the thing of it is, it's not that big of news, because I feel like... It seems like it's big news. I mean, it's big news for these two, but uh, how long we've seen comics being 
harvested for television. Right, but is this the first time that specific creators have been... Yes. Yes. Without a doubt. Because it's always tapped like... in this oh, way. Oh, look, they're getting iZombie, and they're going to make a TV show out of it. It's not going to be really anything like iZombie. But yay, yay, there it is. They didn't mention like the creator of iZombie is being brought on to write this and stuff like that. Right. So this is definitely Matt and Kelly Sue centric. And I think that's awesome. I think that shows that they're paying attention to who the creators are, not just the idea the creator had and saying, right. We want the guys that made this guys and girls that made this comics. Great to come in here and make a great television show. This is where I think powers is going to fall down. Well, Bendis is involved in Powers. He's like executive producer. I don't know how involved he is. He's not writing it. We know that. You know, Charlie Houston is writing it. Yeah. So I I think this is a big step. And if it works, great. It puts money into Conic Fraction and Zadarsky's pockets. And they're taken care of. They're giving us TV we want to see. They're going to have to do sex criminals on a cable channel. Oh, sure. Yes. I mean, you're right. For crying out loud. If you're going to do sex criminals without any nudity, I'm out. That sucks. Well, okay. Sorry. Like, it's not like sex criminals is nonstop nudity. It's not, but it's a vital part of the story is them having sex. It's a yes. big vital part of the story. But what's not a vital part of the story is explicit genitalia. Oh, tell that to the people that do Spartacus I, blood and sand. I'm just saying I can see how they might do sex criminals and not need to show that dude's actual glowing dong. No, I need to see his glowing. You dong. can see it. Can, you could can just have him lift up the sheet and have it glow like we Marcellus saw, Wallace's briefcase. We saw Doc Manhattan's glowing dong. I want to see this dudes. All right. <laughs> what I think is exciting is is the idea that it opens the door for not just them, but also other creators. Like they yeah. might be. That's what I was just saying. The curators of, yeah. of, of bringing other projects. If this experiment works, they go, oh, okay. So people want to see Rick Remender's Fear Agent, not an adaptation of Fear Agent. That's awesome. Yeah. Someone call Wooly Toots because Battle Chasers is back or it's coming back, maybe, sort of, after a four. Year hiatus artist slash game designer Joe Madureira Joe Madureira has announced plans to revive Battle Chasers in both a comic book and a video game. As both, sorry, as sorry, both, okay. sorry, as both a comic book and a video game. The gaming site Polygon reports, never heard of it, that Madureira, along with Madureira, along with his partner Ryan Steganelli, Steganelli, <laughs> have launched a new company, Airship Syndicate. Madureria is known in recent years as a designer of the Darksiders series of games. Joey Mad plans to release Battle Chasers in three issue arcs that pick up from the original series with the game spinning out of that story. The game will be aimed at PC and tablet players, so it will be pretty different from the Darksiders games, which is good because they weren't a whole lot of fun. No, the Darksiders games are awesome. No, the second one was awesome. The first one was far from awesome. No, they were both pretty fun. But will still feature the familiar dungeon exploration aspects. Mad stated that Airship doesn't have a publisher lined up for the big comeback or even the funding for these projects. <laughs> he and Stefanelli are still deciding which route to take, partnering with an outside publisher or turning to a crowdfunding source like Kickstarter. Continuing with a very optimistic tone of their announcement, the duo even touched on their plans for an eventual animated series. Joe, sounds like Mr. Mad, is trying to get this stuff created through sheer force of will. Do you think he's going to do it? I think today, even still, he has a lot of loyal fans. Really? 
Do you? Yes, I do. I think that uh, I think that he's got a huge fan base that just hasn't really had an opportunity to express themselves because he's been largely absent from comic books. Why didn't Inhuman sell better then? How did it sell? Not great. I mean, he only did the first like three issues. Yeah, but I mean, like even Inhuman number one wasn't the slam bang they were hoping for. Well, yes, but Inhuman also had a series of other problems. That's true. That were not at all related That's to true. him. Rider changes and stuff like Huge that. Huge delays. Yeah, Fraction right. was on it, and then it was Soul, and yeah. So I think that if he makes this announcement and goes to Kickstarter or something, I think he's going to fund this no problem. I think Kickstarter is his dog. Yeah. And I think that the Darksiders games, fun or not, I think that they were successful. Yeah, they looked neat. And I can I can totally see a company partnering with them to get this done. I do think it's funny that all these announcements got made. Like they, It really feels like they put the cart before the horse. Well, I think making the announcement is maybe... Kind of trying to get everyone excited. Priming the so when they audience. do end up at Kickstarter, because sure. that's where they're gonna go. Sure. Like, oh, I heard about this. F yeah, I'll give you five bucks or whatever. And Why did I say F? We edit this show. I, I know that video games are his passion, but I feel like weed is his passion too. <laughs> I picture him just like a huge stoner. <laughs> like Jim Brewer level stoner. But really, I think a return to the comic, at least for me and for at least one other member of the Ziggurat team at that least we one know, guy we know is the primary draw in this story. And so maybe just, just make the comic, man, make the comic. Yeah. Baby steps. Get battle chasers back out there. Baby steps. And then when you build that audience back up, then yeah, you, then go for the game. Right? I, and I'm not trying to be snarky here, but we focus, finish the job, you know, as opposed to making people wait. I don't know. Five, 14 years <laughs> for the next episode. You know what I mean? Hold on to your childhoods and brace for impact. A slew of remakes from the 1980s golden age of children's animation were announced this week. Yesterday, Netflix announced planned revivals for both Inspector Gadget and Danger Mouse, two cartoon staples from the early days of the Nickelodeon cable network. The Inspector Gadget series has already aired on television in Europe but will make its American debut on Netflix in March with a full 26-episode season about Gadget, his niece Penny, and their talking dog Brain, battling the evil Dr. Claw and the criminal organization known as MAD. Okay, Brain didn't use to talk. He just kind of went... Um, I think he talked in, in sort of a Scooby fashion. Yeah. Not like, maybe not full sentences, but... It was like sort of grunty, like very expressive grunts. Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe he talks now. Who knows? I haven't seen it. Danger Mouse, a British spy movie parody, will become available in the spring of 2016. The Danger Mouse reboot already has some star power behind it in the form of popular British actor Stephen Fry. Love him. Fry has signed on to play Danger Mouse's boss, Colonel K. Awesome. I barely give a shit about this unless they bring back Banana Man and the tiny little super guy. <laughs> fair. That's fair. That he's like in jars. He's a tiny little super guy. Yeah, yeah, I get it. <laughs> Meanwhile, Disney has announced the return of DuckTales, arguably one of the most highly regarded cartoon series of all time. According to Deadline, DuckTales is set to premiere on Disney XD in 2017. That's two years from now. Expect the return of classic characters such as Duckworth, Gyro Gearloose, Launchpad McQuack, Mrs. Beakley, Donald Duck himself, and of course, Huey, Dewey, Louie, and Uncle Scrooge. In the announcement, Mark Buhage Disney XD's general manager and senior VP of programming. Never heard of him. Said quote. <laughs> DuckTales has a special place in Disney's TV animation history. It drew its inspiration from Disney legend Carl Barks' comic him. books. Okay, I've heard of him. And through its storytelling and artistic showmanship, 
set an enduring standard for animated entertainment that connects with both kids and adults, our new series will bring that same energy and adventurous spirit to a new generation, end quote. Matt, I know that you were born an old man, just like Benjamin Button. It's true. But is there any place in your cold, dead heart for these shows? I love this. I love all these announcements. I loved Danger Mouse when I was young. Me it too. was awesome. Right. Inspector Gadget, I really liked, but I got kind of sick of the, like, he's a moron. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> And, like, he's, Brain and Penny do all the actual crime he's, fighting. He's Don Adams. He's Maxwell Smart. <laughs> yeah, basically. And he was voiced by Don Adams, who played Maxwell Smart. But DuckTales, man. I, I loved DuckTales. And I like life is like a hurricane. Uh, race cars, lasers, airplanes, <laughs> race cars, lasers, airplanes. Yeah. It's a duck blur. <laughs> I can't wait. I think this is great news. I hope they stick to like the same adventurous, no rules. Like we can do whatever oh, sure. the hell we want. The show good amount of comedy. Just did all of these. Don't get extreme with any of them. That's all I ask. Right. And that's all I ask. I know they're not making it for us, but can we please wait a minute? They're not making it for 40 year olds. <laughs> But please resist the urge to make it so infantile. Yes. Yeah. That only kids on Adderall can enjoy it. Yeah, totally. It. Yeah. That is not a slight against children with attention deficit disorder. No. Don't I'm send on, me any emails. I'm on Adderall right now, and I don't even need it. I wish I had some. <laughs> it's like cocaine that you get from your pharmacist. Yeah. Great. <laughs> I, I wish nothing more than for the DuckTales revival to just be the exact show it was, but with updated animation. Yeah, just make it look better. It's all you need to do. I think all those peeps are still alive. They've got to be, right? <laughs> I think it's great news. I love the fact that Netflix Netflix is doing a bunch of it. Yeah. Awesome. D- Danger Mouse. I did not see that shit coming. I didn't either. Of course, I didn't see Richie Rich coming either. And ooh. Have you seen any of it? No. He has like a disturbingly sexy robot maid. Oh. And the kid is like 12. Okay? He totally wants a nail is made. It's disturbing. <laughs> I'm throwing that out there. Like, I'm not even a parent. I'm concerned. <laughs> Life is like a hurricane here in Duckburg. That's the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories or anything you think we missed, hit us up on the THN forums where Joe and I have kicked our Launchpad McQuack fan fiction into high gear. Our latest episode sees Launchpad torturing one of the Beagle Boys with a car lighter to get the location of the dirty bomb they planted somewhere in Duckburg. But he'll need help on this job from a washed-up, booze, and pill-addicted Darkwing duck. Can Launchpad force Darkwing to crawl out of his booze and drug-addled haze before the Beagle Boys Jihad destroys Duckburg? Events occur in real time. Every Sunday, the Huey to my Dewey, Joe Patrick, posts the question of the week. I'll take it. In the THN forums. Joey. What do we ask the listeners this week? This week's question was thought up by me. Screw you for him, guys. Just kidding. I love you. <laughs> what was your favorite cartoon series from childhood and why? Rad. It's that simple. Rad. It's not something that you think deserves to make some sort of crazy comeback that you think the kids are just dying to see. Oh, now I see you're just picking on no, the no, question. No, no, no. I'm want. not picking on the question. <laughs> I'm saying I just want I just want to talk about pure love, whether it's rational or not. I just want to talk about what you loved as a kid. Where do you think critically it's worth a shit or not? Oh, man. I bet you we got some weirdos out there that were into some heavy stuff. Oh, definitely. You have until 5 p.m. this coming Friday, March 6th. To get us your answer, you can call and leave a message on Skype using the handle two-headed nerd, all one word, or at the Ziggurat hotline 402-819-4894. 
You can also send an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. Keep it all under three minutes, whatever you do. You will get cut off either by Matt or, or the Lord. Or by the Lord. <laughs> Who knows? If you need more time than that, feel free to go to the THN forums and write your the full answer. The king of the internet will cut you off. If you need more time than that, feel free to write your full answer in the question of the week section of the THN web forums. We have a place for that. Yeah, we do. Yeah, awesome place. It turned pink not too long ago. Why is it pink? Did uh, you mess with something? Yeah, I turned it pink. Why? I, don't know. I was having fun. That's, I don't know. Do you not know how to turn it back? Yeah, no, I can turn it back. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's going to be all brown next time. Oh, God. Presenting, presenting, presenting His Royal Majesty, the King of Cartoons. That's right. You heard us correctly. He'll be review time on THN where Joe and I force our ill-informed opinions on two of this week's unsuspecting new comics. Joey, what book are you bullying this week? Well, Matt. Well, Joe. (laughs) This week, I'm tackling Spider-Gwen number one from Marvel Comics written by Jason Latour with art by Robbie Rodriguez. Fun fact, the solicit says Javier Rodriguez, who is the artist of Spider-Woman. So last week when I made that mistake, it was not my fault. (laughs) Huh. Way to go, Marvel. Well, they all look alike to Marvel. They cut, they cut and paste. You know it. Jeez. The colors are by Rico Renzi. Spider-Verse is over, and Gwen Stacy is back in her home universe trying to pick up the pieces of the life she left behind to battle a family of multiversal predators alongside an army of Spider-Man and women. This issue opens with a much-needed recap of Edge of Spider-Verse number 2, Gwen's first appearance, which provides readers with the backstory necessary to understand Gwen's tale so far. Latour's script is light and fun with plenty of angsty teenage drama. Here's the thing. There's nothing jaw-droppingly compelling about the story. And these characters, though they share names with classic characters with deep histories, don't act anything like their namesakes, making it all seem like kind of a novelty. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing at all. I like a good what-if story as much as anyone. But there's not much here to get too invested in just yet. Not enough to transcend the feeling that nothing about this will have any lasting impact. I, I totally agree. I like the thing with Officer Grimm, who's obviously Ben Grimm. And he's like, I'll show you what growing up on Yancey Street. Like, it, I felt nothing. In fact, honestly, I breezed right past it without even noticing that it was Ben Grimm. I, I, then, I read it too. I read it too. And it took me several panels yeah. before I went, oh, Ben Grimm. Yeah. But it wasn't until we got to like Foggy Nelson and Matt Murdock doing stuff where I went, Oh, wait a minute. That was Ben Grimm. Right. Who cares? Right. It's like the parade of references. Yeah, exactly. You know what it reminds me of? Gotham. <laughs> One of the characters... That uh, is not to say this is terrible. No, 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 it's no, no, not no, terrible. no, no. It's referential in a way that seems uh, very transient. Uh, for example, there's a character uh, early on in the book that's spraying graffiti of Spider-Gwen on a billboard. The other kid calls him Hobby. Or Hobie, or however that's pronounced. Hobie, I think. That is the name of the Prowler. That's the Prowler. Classic, classic, in quotes. Obscure Spider-Man character, the Prowler. Let's call him Purple Spider-Man character. Purple purple Spider-Man character, the Prowler. Yeah, who cares? Right, yeah, exactly. And this was kind of the problem I had with it. It's like, I love what-if stories, too. But the best part about what-if stories, like, my favorite what-if stories were either the Marvel what-ifs or the the all-new Exiles. That Judd Winnick did, where you had some X characters jumping around from reality to reality. Anything goes. And it, and it's all these like really cool versions of these characters. Here, 
you're kind of locked into just a different version of the characters doing slightly different stuff. Barely feels like what if. Right. You know what I mean? Right. I was hoping for a little more what ifitude, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting because I don't think that this character was ever intended to last beyond. No, no, definitely not. Her initial appearances. Definitely not. And I feel like this first issue definitely showed that. And it does. It feels like there's not enough foundation. Yeah. To build up from. But given enough time, I'm confident that they'll be able to build out the flesh out that foundation. A little I, bit I more. agree. These guys are both very talented. The real stars of this issue are Robbie Rodriguez and Rico Renzi. Rodriguez's super exaggerated figures are very fun to look at and his action pacing is fluid and kinetic and Renzi's brilliant colors make everything pop right off the page. Yeah. And even the lettering by virtual calligraphy's Clayton Cowles contributes to the visual feel of the issue. The lettering is amazing and I'm learning to appreciate he must do the do, do this on several books and I think Southern Bastards is one of them. He does the very thin tailed ward balloons. Oh yeah. That end with just little squares instead yes. of points. Yes. I really love that. I like it too. It's really neat. Yeah. I, it, don't that, ask me why, but I think it's cool. And I, that is him on Southern bastards. Now I know that I sounded harsh earlier. This is a good comic and I really enjoyed it. It's just that a lot of fans are treating spider Gwen like the second coming and it's, it just isn't. It's a lot of fun. It's really well drawn and I'm giving it a buy it. It's not that it's bad at all. And I'm even willing to take the ride and, and see Latour and Rodriguez fill out Gwen's world. Give us more of a reason to care about her and her supporting cast. But you have to check your expectations. Don't come into this book thinking it's going to be the best thing you've ever read. Because if you look at the internet right now, that's what you're going to see. So be prepared. I'm with you 100%. And if this book's guilty of anything, it's guilty of maybe being a little rushed. I have no problem with them doing a Spider-Gwen series, and I like the idea, but it sort of just feels like they go, they said, we'll just do Spider-Man, but you know, a little different. And it's like, it, it led me to start thinking, I really enjoyed Spider-Verse. It, it was very well executed. It was a lot of fun. But when we start introducing all these other Spider-Characters, does it water down spider-man to a point where we're just getting it to get it yeah i mean i kind of see what you're saying I, i'm not worried about watering down spider-man i'm not worried about watering down spider-man what i am worried like, about is I, I mean these other characters you're, you're how soon before yeah. we just get sick of this crap and go sure i get it i get it i get it and, it's like spider-man but with this and this kind of felt like that a little bit i'm giving it a skim it That's i didn't fair. dislike it i thought the art was beautiful abs very very well done but again it's just hey it's gwen sort of talking like peter and doing stuff that peter would do not even and, and that's kind of it's like i would like to see her act differently it's like rushing to series when all you have to go on is the elevator pitch mm -hmm. i totally agree and that's why i ended up with a skim it it's well executed it please is. don't get me wrong it is it definitely is and I think that Spider-Gwen is a character with a lot of potential, and so did Matt. Yeah. Because I, last she, year you gave him she her got my the big award. For right. best new character. I thought she was awesome. I just would like her to stand out a little more on her own, and maybe she will. Right. It's just uh, the constant referencing, and here's Mary Jane in name only. See, no, I did like the Mary Janes. 
Like it's not that I don't like them. No, I did like the fact that like Mary Jane is sort of like this diva, this like rock star, like shithead <laughs> kind of. It was sort of fun, but it's not Mary Jane. You know what I'm saying? No, I get that. I get that. I mean, it also wasn't my and Frank that, Castle. That but might I be my did, baggage. I did like what they did with the Punisher. Though. That might be my baggage, but yeah, why why make those references if yep. I'm not supposed to bite? I got you. I got you. So, Matt Bomb, what are you reading this week? This week, I am talking about the Black Hood from Archie slash Dark Circle. Written by Dwayne Swierzynski with art by Michael Gayados. 399, 32 pages. That is a steal. The Red Circle, or as Archie is now calling it, the Dark Circle, relaunches upon us, and it comes with a familiar promise for darker and grittier stories featuring the old Archie superhero characters of the 70s and 80s. Police officer Greg Hedinger works the mean streets of Philadelphia. While responding to a call involving two armed men outside of an elementary school, Officer Hedinger takes a shotgun blast to the face that leaves him blindly shooting back. When the smoke clears, it turns out one of Hedinger's shots has killed the masked vigilante known only as the Black Hood. Badly deformed from the gunfight, Greg finds himself seeing a speech pathologist and developing an addiction to his painkillers. After returning to work, all he can think about is the pain of his wound and his longing to turn it off or just be someone else, even just for a few minutes. It's this longing that leads him to put it on the like mask. Seems like you felt this pain oh, before. Oh man, I was right there with him. It's this longing that leads him to put on the mask of the vigilante he killed. I don't know much about the Black Hood. But a little wiki research revealed that the 1970s character was named Kip Burland, and his name is mentioned here as the vigilante that was killed in the shooting. Swierzynski does a nice job of fleshing out Philly, which is his hometown, and settles into his gritty real-world crime story very well, but we don't learn much about Hedinger. We know he doesn't have any family, we know he's a good cop, and we know he's not afraid of a fight, but that's really about it. There just wasn't much in the story to latch onto with our anti-hero, and the drug use and loneliness certainly reminded me of plenty of other anti-heroes I've read. But this isn't a Punisher story, yet, anyway. Truthfully, I'm not sure where the story is going, and while that's not a bad thing, it also doesn't give me a strong urge to find out. I'm glad to see Gaiados working. And his digitally affected, realistic style lends itself perfectly to Swierzynski's story. Joe and I have often accused first issues of trying to do too much, but this one might just be the opposite. The creative team may be building to something genuinely interesting, but it's not here yet. I reread Swierzynski's first issue of his X relaunch at Dark Horse. In that book, he used a blogger named Lee Ferguson that was following X as the focus of the story. And while the character was a bit of a hipster stereotype she had like dyed hair and dressed real cool she still brought some humanity to the story and allowed x to be the violent animal we're interested in but not necessarily directly following i'm not saying the black hood should be a sociopath like x but so far i don't know what he is the team like i said the team may be building towards something and that is fine there's nothing wrong with a slow burn but you've got to do something more than this with the first issue to bring new readers back for more i can only give this a skim it yeah see i disagree because it's just number one right it's number one and i thought that swarzynski and gatos really i hate to put it this way but they really took us on a journey with this character how he was just this normal beat cop who gets caught in an impossible situation 
and I don't even know if luck's the right word, but luck's into this situation where he's luck might be the wrong word. (laughs) But I I mean, he ended up fucked up. He fired it, but he fired his gun blindly and killed a guy. Probably killed the wrong guy. But at least it was a guy that the cops were actually after. Yeah, but probably and not the wrong guy, and not a well, yes. But he didn't kill a civilian, right? And I'm not saying any of that's not interesting. It is, but where was the hook for you? I, I'm curious. Like, well, I just what like watching you? watching his descent. I thought was very fascinating for me. Okay, you know where he started off. His monologue is talking about how what it's like to smile and and how the pills work great at first and and they slowly fade in their effectiveness. Oh, I can tell you all about that. And the the dogged determination of the speech therapist and sure, I'm, and I'm not saying it was poorly written. I think this was well written. I just I guess I didn't know enough about the character before this happened. You don't need to know anything to about really the appreciate what kind of descent he's going through because I don't know anything about it. I, I barely got anything about like him as a person other than he got messed up and he's upset about it, which I understand that, but I. It just didn't work as much for me because I don't know anything about him. He's a normal guy. He's a police officer. I get that. And I just think maybe had they paced it a little differently and we got maybe more of the story of him killing the wrong guy before he slips into just like the way he put on the hood. No spoilers. I'm I'm not going to give any spoilers, but the way it ended was unsatisfying for me. I will give you this. I thought that the scene where he puts on the hood, where they reveal that he's put on the hood. We know he's going to do is very abrupt. Yes. It was unsatisfying. And I did feel like there was a step missing. Yes. And that was my biggest problem. And I will grant you that. Why does he do this? Why does it? Where is that motivation? If they've showed me some guilt that he had for killing the wrong guy. Maybe he believed this vigilante was a good guy. Well, but he talks about it all through the book. He talks about how guilty he feels, how they're calling him a hero, but all he did was murder somebody. Well, they're calling me a hero, but he's saying like, I couldn't see. I didn't know what was going on. And like, but, but that's not what he's saying. He's not saying I'm, I'm not a hero. It was an accident. He's saying they're calling me a hero, but I took a life. Right. It I, had an enormous impact on him. And, and that's saying, all through the script. I took a life, but he's not. He, he obviously didn't have any compassion for the vigilante himself. Well, he didn't mean to kill him. Well, and I get that, but it's not like he felt like this guy was doing the right thing. It's not like he went out, murdered the Punisher and was like, oh, shit. how much compassion does he need? He feels guilty for killing him. I, I, but he could feel guilty for killing anyone. I, I think I think the way this conversation is going yeah. is really like it's just a both. It's really cementing my opinion of how I will behave if we are ever in some sort of violent situation. Oh, <laughs> I will run the farthest away from you that I can possibly. I will shoot you while you are running <laughs> and not feel guilty. Yeah, right. I thought that Swarzynski did an admirable job showing him going from you know where he was at, at not maybe at the top, but with his normal life down to the very, very bottom where he's ditching his commitments and, and roughing up people at work and addicted to pills. I will grant you the thing with the hood was abrupt. Yeah. And that was the most unsatisfying thing. Sure. But this is not a bad comment. No, the art I thought was beautiful. Michael Gatos is an amazing talent. Total badass. And I just wish he drew more comics. I'm giving it a buy it because... This is a perfect comic for a guy like him to draw, too. Sure, yeah. I'm giving it a buy it because when it was over, I wanted to know what happened next. Okay. Well, that's a buy it and a skim it for Spider-Gwen and a skim it and a buy it for the Black Hood. I thought it was a buy it and a skim it. No, I gave it a skim it. It was my... You son of a... 
<laughs> As always, we want to know what you other reality spider babes and mutilated crime fighters thought of these comics. So close your eyes, pull the trigger, and blow us away with your opinions over at the THN forums. You can find them by clicking the forum button at twoheadednerd.com. It's right there. You can't miss it. After admitting to a drug and alcohol relapse earlier this week, Sparked by the shocking Gorilla Grodd appearance on the CW Flash show. He's only human, folks. You've probably heard the news that I've been suspended from my duties as the head of the Grant Gustin fan and erotic fan fiction web board. A lot of talk of fan fiction in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> I believe they're called moderators. <laughs> Rather than go to rehab, I've decided to volunteer for the Omaha Thunderbolts program where I'll be donning my new superhero persona, the Meat Packer, along with my loyal sidekick, Matt, the Sword Swallower. We didn't choose these names, by the way. These were assigned to us. Who turned himself in for several drunk and disorderly and public indecency warrants. Because no one can take a joke anymore, apparently. Together, we'll be doling out justice like lightning until we've paid our debt to society and Grant and everyone that saw Matt's donger. (laughs) While we review 10 more of this week's new comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round! Ludicrous Speed! Go! Curb Stomp, number one from Boom! This is the story of three gangs fighting for their turf in their respective boroughs while the crooked mayor of the surrounding city takes care of his rich constituency. We meet three gangs, the Wraith, the Bayside Crew, and the Fever, a group of racially diverse and fiercely loyal women that deal out justice that the cops won't. There's an undeniable homage to 70s gang films like The Warriors that I fucking love. But instead I've never of, seen it. Oh, it's so good. But instead of grim and gritty violence, writer Ryan Ferrier gives us a story of how mistakes can put your friends' lives in danger. Great art here that reminded me of Charles Burns and Mike Alred with outrageous colors by Neil Lalande. Or Lalande? Lalande. Lalande. Lalande! Buy it! Those colors were outrageous. Orphan Black, number one from IDW. As a fan of the show, I had high hopes for Orphan Black. Show writers Graham Mason and John Fawcett team up with writer Jody Hauser for a story that retells the pilot episode from a different perspective and does a great job leveraging the comics medium to give us more insight into the characters' thoughts and motivations. I had a lot of problems with Simon Kadransky's art. Wow. I think it's Sizimon. <laughs> it's like a Pokemon. Sizimon, I choose you. <laughs> While his character likenesses were decent, I thought the rest looked really inconsistent. Extreme camera angles for no reason. Like, she's flashing back to time pushing her daughter on the swing, and I swear to God, it's like at a 140 degree angle. (laughs) Why? (laughs) Looks cool, man. Backgrounds come and go in favor of abstract fields of color or sometimes nothing at all. Though, I don't know if I should attribute that to Kodransky or colorist Matt Lopez. It seemed to be that this is a... I think it's Lopes. I honestly think it's Lopes. Maybe. It seemed to me that this is a rare tie-in that's actually better for people that have never seen the show. Huh. Yeah. Like, if you've seen Orphan Black, then this might be kind of boring. But if you've never seen Orphan Black, this is a really great introduction in terms of the story. Like, it might get you to watch. The art was troublesome. Skim it. Suiciders number one from DC Vertigo. If you've been waiting for Lee Bermejo to draw an entire comic for as long as I have, you're in luck. Not only is he drawing Suiciders, but he's writing it too. 
Lee gives us the story of a divided Los Angeles 30 years after an earthquake split the city into New Angeles and Lost Angeles. I'll let you guess where the poor folks live. New Angeles is obsessed with a gladiatorial sport. Is it New Angeles? No. New Angeles is obsessed with a gladiatorial sport where two men, the Suiciders, fight to the death. The Saint is the current champion, but there seems to be more to his past than anyone knows. On the poor side, we meet a man that helps people escape to New Angeles for money, where they hope to find medical treatment and plastic surgery beautification. There's a lot going on here, and I'm not sure where it's going, but the incredible hard-edged art of Romeo, paired with the colors of Matt Hollingsworth, made this impossible to put down, giving it a buy Amazing Spider-Man 15 from Marvel. This Spider-Verse epilogue issue does more to wrap up the story than the actual conclusion last issue. <laughs> Lots of moving parts with characters transitioning out of this book into new series or, in the case of Superior Spider-Man, old ones. Plus, it sets up a bunch of story threads that probably won't be explored in this title. Giuseppe Camincoli provides strong art as usual, and it's definitely essential reading for people that have been following Spider-Verse. Anyone else, though, probably going to find this kind of a hot mess. I'm giving it a skim it. Oh, my damn. It's good. Yeah. But... I can't imagine anyone that hasn't been reading Spider-Verse picking this up and enjoying it. Uh, I get that. I know I get that. King, colon, Prince Valiant, number one from Dynamite. The promise continues. <laughs> Apparently, this, like the other King titles, ties into the invasion of Earth by Mongo, but we haven't seen just how yet. Here, we get the story of a young, brash Prince Valiant causing trouble with some of the local Northmen. I've never known much about the character, but I have a healthy respect for Hal Foster's work. I don't know if this is what old-school Valiant fans were hoping for, but it took me by surprise. Writer Nate Cosby seemed to be taking a surprising angle on the character, and Ron Salas' art gives the story a very classic feel. This is the most fun I've had with one of these King titles so far, and I might be on board just to see how it fits in with the others. I really liked it. Give it a buy it. I hated Prince Valiant so much when I was a kid. Uh, it was so boring. It took up so it much room on the so comic page. Boring. The Sunday funnies. <laughs> it was like thirty percent Prince Valiant. It yeah, pissed yeah. me off. They would spend like six months discussing tactics for what's going to happen in this war. But, <laughs> what did I know, man? That, that comic strip is beautiful. I'm a dummy. Joe Frankenstein, number one from IDW. Chuck Dixon reunites with his old Batman collaborator Graham Nolan. Love that guy. For this story about Doctor Frankenstein's long lost heir. Like Frank Frankenstein? Frank Frankenstein. <laughs> this story is just light fun, and I can see why it wouldn't be too appealing to modern comic fans, but I'm a fan of these creators. I was making a Fred Claus joke, actually. I, I meant to say Fred Frankenstein. <laughs> gotcha. And I think that Nolan's art, while dated, is still excellent. It's a strong skimmit. Garbage Pail Kids Love Stinks Special from IDW. Just in time for Valentine's Day, IDW unleashes another GPK special, but this one doesn't seem to have the star power of the last year's GPK puketacular. Of course, it's exactly what you expect. Jokes about puke, snot, pus, being fat, hairy, etc. And it's drawn in the style of the beloved GPK cards of old. Wasn't that the name of a serial killer? Uh, it was the BTK. BTK, killer. yeah, bind, <laughs> torture, kill. I loved these cards back in the 80s, but I don't think I need the comics. Still, I can't deny that hardcore GPK fans like that sicko Aaron Myers will probably love it. I'm giving it a skin. Criminal Special Edition One Shot from Image. 
Criminal is back, and I couldn't be happier. Me too. Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips continue their trend of tying their criminal tales to classic comic genres. It's funny. Criminal comes out so infrequently that I did not realize that for the last three series, they have done an homage to classic comics. Oh, yeah. Like there was an Archie one and a Dick Tracy one before this. This time, black and white, Conan-style badassery. Brubaker delivers a solid tale about a youngish Teague Lawless dealing with life inside County Lockup, interspersed with the adventures of Zangar, told with beautiful, beautiful, gray-toned art by Sean Phillips, mimicking the old Savage Sword of Conan magazine. The only problem with Criminal is that there isn't more of it. Buy it. Thor Annual number 1 from Marvel. Let's be real honest. The only reason to pick up this issue is to see if ex-WWE wrestler CM Punk can write. And he did a perfectly good job on a throwaway comedic Thor story where he outdrinks Mephisto, complete with art by Rob Guillory. The other stories were also fine. One by series but uh one by series writer Jason Aaron revisits Thor's granddaughters from his last volume, and the other sees the new female Thor trying to impress her new buddies, the Warriors 3. This was fun and well drawn in all accounts, but by no means a must read. I know we've asked it a million times. But are we the only ones who remember when an annual used to mean something? A little expensive for what you get. I'm saying skim it. Yeah, but isn't a well-written and well-drawn comic worth it? I mean, it was just fine. Just like nothing really happened. They were just kind of feel-good, funny stories. But did you enjoy it? Uh, yeah, it was okay. D4VE, number one from IDW. History's greatest monster, that's you. Oh, please. Uh, it's pronounced DeForve. <laughs> oh, pardon me. <laughs> Ryan Ferrier and Valentine Ramon, or Valentin Ramon, bring their hit monkey brain comic, Dave, to print. Thanks to the fine folks at IDW. Valentin. That's my guess. Valentin, yeah. (laughs) This is a great series about what happens when the robots rise up to conquer humanity, settle into humanity's old roles, then face an apocalypse of their own. (laughs) Beautiful art by Ramon that I found reminiscent of Shaolin Cowboy's Jeff Darrow, which is a huge compliment. Yeah. Great stuff. Very funny. Buy it. Plarg! That is your ludicrous speed round, and Plarg is the sound of Harry Gary popping his tacos. Does that mean puke? Yes. After after smelling swollen Sue Ellen's burrito butt breath in the pages of this week's GPK Love Stinks special. Now go directly to the THN forums and puke up your reviews of this week's new comics. You know how to get there, don't you? You put your lips together and blow. <laughs> Special shout out to G-E-E-P-E-E-K-K-A-Y on the Twitter for giving me the name of Swollen Sue Ellen. I posted because I couldn't figure out what the character's name was. They hit me like 30 seconds later with the original card and her name. That's awesome. Thank you, GPK. Say what you will about Billy O'Reilly. According to him, he's never told a lie. Just like George Washington. Unless you're a stickler for the truth and count all those things he's been caught lying about recently. Regardless, (laughs) Joe and I have borrowed the TARDIS from our buddy Doctor Who, and we've set a course for all the moments called into question by O'Reilly's peers in an attempt to set the record straight. Did he exaggerate his Falkland War experience, lie about hearing the shot that killed a fellow conspirator of Lee Harvey Oswald, and whether or not he was attacked during the 1992 L.A. race riots? Well, Joey and I are about to find out for sure. But 
while we wait for this damn police box to appear in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, why don't we talk about what we're excited to read next week? Next week, my pick is Descender, number one from Image Comics, written by Jeff Lemire, with art by Dustin Nguyen. I think it's Nguyen. Don't be a racist. <laughs> Here's the solicit. One robot's struggle to stay alive in a universe where all androids have been outlawed and bounty hunters lurk on every planet. Hashtag the struggle. A rip-roaring and heartfelt cosmic odyssey that pits humanity against machine and world against world to create a sprawling space opera from the creators of Trillium, Sweet Tooth, and Little Gotham. <laughs> One of these things is not like the other. It's exercised. It's 30 pages. It's only $2.99. Hot damn. Have you seen this thing? Yeah, it looks, it looks crazy. Glorious. I am excited about it. Yeah, I am too. I love Dustin Wynn. I, I love too. Jeff Lemire. I do too. We talked about this from the Image Expo news a while back. Like two years ago. No, it was just this year. Was it this year? Oh, I thought yes, this was it was one, of, one ones... of the newer books. Oh, I thought this was one of the ones left over. I'm pumped for it. Matt Baum, what's your pick? I'm going with Halo Gen, number one, written by Josh Tierney. Never heard of him. With art by Afu Chan. Here's your solicit. There's a rumor on City Ship Q that the gigantic body of a dead god was found floating in space. Rel, an agent working for the Halo Gen organization, is tasked with finding the location of the god and retrieving it by any means necessary. Using her ability to form hyper-realistic holograms, Rel is about to take on the first mission she might not be able to finish. Josh Tierney's Spira webcomic has a ton of buzz behind it. Here he teams with Spira artist Afu Chan for what looks like a sci-fi epic. I went and read some of the Spira stuff that's out there on Tierney's website. It's really good, and I'm looking forward to this. I think it's going to be very cool. Awesome. Yeah. It was not on my radar. I'm looking forward to it. There you go. The THN Trade of the Week goes to Shaolin Cowboy, the Shemp Buffet hardcover. <laughs> what a great name. <laughs> uh, from, from Dark Horse Comics, written and illustrated by Jeff Darrow. It's 144 pages for $19.99. Yeah, not $99. It is not $99.99. <laughs> for 100 bucks. It's $19.99. <laughs> the saga of one man's fight against the Walking Dead as you've never seen it before. But not that Walking Dead. Different Walking Dead. The action never lets up as a chainsaw of events pits the comic world's favorite Shaolin cowboy against a legion of gourmets from the fourth level of hell. Intent on turning America's finest youth into an endless shemp buffet. Strap on your six guns, gas up your chainsaw, and hang on, because you aren't in Downton Abbey anymore. I don't know what that last part means. I don't know what <laughs> any of it means. I gave Shaolin Cowboy a little bit of shit the last time it came out because it was literally like four issues of exactly the same thing. Oh, I loved it. I don't care. He's just chainsawing zombies for I 32 pages loved for it. four months in a row. It was beautiful. <laughs> it is It is an artistic powerhouse. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. Shaolin Cowboy is awesome. I bet you all in one shot, it reads oh, yeah. way better. It's going to be great. I'm excited about it. Love the guy or hate him. We can all agree that Billy's no spin zone is spinning wildly out of control. Bad news. Doctor Who still hasn't showed up and we're sitting here on our thumbs. But let us know what you're excited to read next week over the THN forums. I don't have high hopes for any of this, though. If there's one thing I've learned about Doctor Who, it's that that dude is unreliable. Yeah, he'll get here whenever he f***ing gets here. It doesn't happen often, but now and again, Matt and I get tired of hearing our own voices and have to admit that we might not even know what we're talking about. It's true. 
That's when it's time for one of our good and informed friends to host a little segment we like to call, Who the Hell is This Guy? This time, our buddy Seanix from the Signed In Podcast is going to talk about who the hell is Mr. Sinister. I've been living with this guy for, seriously, like 15, maybe 20 years. I can't tell you the first thing about him. I know his name is Nathan Essex. I can tell you that. Nathaniel. Nathaniel Essex. There you go. He's got a frilly cape. Yep. Weirdest cape I've ever seen. (laughs) Seanix, you have the bridge. Two hundred. Whoa, whoa, wait it up. Who the hell is this guy? I was happy to get the call from the two-headed nerd uh, asking me if I could answer the question, who the hell is this guy? And who is this guy? Mr. Sinister. I had to go back um, and think back to 1988, 89. Uh, this was the heyday of my comic book collecting and reading. I didn't really know what I was doing. Uh, I was buying comics mostly off of spinner racks and magazine shelves uh i'd go to the comic shop once in a while to look in long boxes for back issues but not go there to buy my regular stuff i didn't really know what i was doing i wasn't buying a monthly like i didn't even know schedules at the time you know mine were at high v's qt's you know drugstores bent up issues things like that they wouldn't they'd have the barcode instead of the spider-man face but uh, I remember this issue of Uncanny X-Men 236, and it was Wolverine and Rogue, and they're running away from Genotians because I think they were both powerless at the time. But there was this great ad for Inferno in there. Inferno had some fantastic ads. Look them up. They're great. Um, but there was an ad in there, and this one had the, the three profile shots, three three headshots, uh, and it was Sim, Nastier, and Mr. Sinister. And I remember thinking to myself, who the hell is that guy? Who is Mr. Sinister. Uh, it looks like a vampire colossus. I originally thought it was an evil colossus. Um, so I was intrigued by that. I'd been reading the X-Men, um, picking them up uh, wherever I could find them. And I was getting a month to month or what I thought was month to month because I was probably behind since they were off the spinner racks. Uh, and they were hitting twice a month at the time then, I think two, because it was during the brood coming to Earth. And then they fought the Genotians and then it led up to the prelude to into Inferno. But I remember going to the shop to get that issue 239 and it's sinister on the cover and he's holding Madeline Pryor, the Goblin Queen and Havoc in his hands. And I just was immediate. I was hooked. Uh, You know, I'd been enjoying Uncanny, but there was something about that his design that creepiness that that evil look to him that colossus look i guess it was i read inferno i absolutely loved it i thought it was fantastic uh, i didn't even really read i didn't even know it was a crossover i didn't read any of the tie-ins i just read the x-men stuff later i went back and got the x factors and you know the new mutants and the daredevil issues where he's attacked by a vacuum cleaner it's fantastic stories right there because um, i was digging daredevil at the time too Sinister didn't really have that. He was he was behind the creation of Madeline Pryor. He wasn't really pulling any strings. He just kind of wanted to end her because she was becoming more powerful than he really anticipated or wanted her to be. Uh, Sim and Nastier were the ones calling the shots, making bringing hell to New York and having buildings eat people. Um, but at the end of Inferno, he blows up the school. You know, I thought, what? And then Cyclops blows him up. And that really got me 
inspired to go and look at more back issues and more long box diving later finding out i had read the mutant massacre during this time but later finding out that he was pulling the strings behind it that he sent the marauders to the morlock tunnels then later retcon that gambit pointed him out that stupid gambit but there was something about his villainy that something about his evilness that really really i really liked and it seemed like he knew a lot about the x-men but they didn't know much about him and i still was left going who the hell is this who are you what do you want with us my name is sinister mr sinister I read that Claremont and Dave Cockerman were kind of talking about this character back way, way, way back during creation of him. Not the creation of Earth, but of Mr. Sinister, the character. Originally, they thought this would be an 11-year-old boy. It was like a 50-year-old man trapped in an 11-year-old's body. He just didn't, his body didn't age over time. He aged, but his body didn't. And he was in the same orphanage as Cyclops. Um, and he also would created this evil persona of Mr. Sinister. That's why he looks as evil as he does and as creepy. They wanted to have something that looked, that would scare a child. I don't know if he turned into it or it was kind of a cloudy origin story that Claremont was talking about, but it wasn't until later after Claremont had left Marvel and Marvel kind of took hold of the Mr. Sinister origin. It was in the nineties. Cyclops and Phoenix had been time traveling. They went to the future to um, raise Cyclops and Madeline Pryor's son, Nathaniel Summers, who then became Cable. His first appearance was issue 201, which was my first bought copy of X-Men of Uncanny X-Men, which I then traded for two Iron Man's, but then went and had to buy that back again. But they also went back to the past. And back in the past, they met Nathaniel Essex. Now, Nathaniel Essex, this was during the 19th century, and he was this mad scientist, geneticist, genius, whatever. And he was obsessed with evolution and mutation and, like, the genetic genome. And um, this attracted the attention of Apocalypse. And Apocalypse wanted him to continue on his his studying and everything. So he he pretty much granted... Um, Nathaniel Essex immortality which transformed him into Mr. Sinister and over the years Mr. Sinister you know worked on his own DNA uh, cracked his own genome and did all these things granted himself like superhuman strength and uh, agility and reflexes and gave himself telepathy and he could shoot plasma bolts and he had some shape-shifting abilities and he also was able to like become immune to other mutants powers because he would adapt to them kind of like a sentinel would um, he worked with the high evolutionary before he was a high evolutionary when he was just Wyndham he wasn't a part of the spider-man clone saga but man the clones that this guy created uh he made a clone of namor which captain america defeated he made a clone of gene gray which i talked about as madeline Pryor, uh who was a big thorn in the x-men side during inferno tried to kill her own baby she was creepy he cloned his gang of troopers the marauders which included like Sabretooth, harpoon scalp hunter um and i think that's the reason why Sabretooth is running around today without with a head instead of without one because i thought wolverine chopped it off uh he's cloned himself uh which we saw in kieran gillen's run of uncanny x-men which i really enjoyed i thought he brought the evilness in this just the mad scientist back to the character during his uncanny x-men run when i was leaving uncanny but i was enjoying what he was doing but like i said he was behind the mutant massacre he pointed the marauders to the more tunnels 
He also unknowingly released the legacy virus onto the world. But he was working with Strife during the Executioner song, and Strife was going to give him the DNA of Jean Grey and Cyclops, Scott Summers. But uh, instead, when he opened the vial, it was the the legacy virus. So he's the reason behind that. I really liked. I mean, what really appealed to me back in the past was that he was just this like master manipulator. He would work both sides, all sides actually, because he'd work with Strife, he'd work with Apocalypse, he'd work with the X Men. But it was only for his own good. He would turn on him in a second. Um, he was evil when he showed up. It was just like evil was going to happen and it stuck. Um, I remember those issues of uncanny where havoc is fighting malice and who I found out later was Polaris. And I've read their love story before, you know, as reading back issues. And I just, I mean, that drove me like, I was sad. Um, his, his manipulation of Scott Summers and the things he did with Jean Grey and just, there's just this, this, this evilness to him that I just really, I really, I really liked. I always thought that Apocalypse and, um, Magneto, because that Magneto at the time was headmaster of the school when I was reading it. But um, they were just jobbers. They would just show up and be bad, but then they just get punched and they'd be done. But it just seemed like whatever Sinister did, it stuck. And it, it, it tormented the X-Men for, for issues after. I think later on he even reestablished the Weapon X program. And I think that's why we have a clone of Wolverine running around today. But there's something about him that, you know, he's he, he has become watered down and a jobber like the other X-Men villains. But back in the day, man, he was my favorite. He, he was he was the most sinister, pun intended. But thanks, guys. Need any help anytime? Just call on me. I'll be there. Hope I didn't ramble on too much. Peace. Thank you so much, Sean, for explaining Mr. Sinister to us and the listeners. I still feel like I'd barely know anything. You know, <laughs> but I feel better. If you nerds are curious about a certain character, send us an email with the subject to who the hell or post in the new who the hell is this guy section of the THN web forums. Matt Bomb has been creating new subboards on the forums left and right. I'm out of my mind. You can't be stopped. I'm out of my mind. Sort of break it, break it down like this. And that is it for this episode of THN. If you are thrilled that this podcast will be treated as if it's just as important as the Joe Rogan experience, thanks to our friends at the FCC, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn, where we still need your star ratings, your reviews, your thumbs up, and your little hearts, because it helps us to connect with other potential listeners. Thank you to all our donors and supporters, and if you want to keep us in sweet, sweet bandwidth, you can do so by clicking our non-FCC compliant PayPal button at twoheadednerd.com. It does not give a care. Got a filthy mouth. And if you want to become a sustaining member, it's as easy as clicking the Make This Donation Monthly box. And as little as a dollar a month really does help. If you're interested in sponsoring this heavily censored podcast, shoot us an email with the subject line, Sponsorship. While you're there, you can find links to all our contact info via Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Skype, and the Ziggurat Hotline, 402-819-4894, using this list of resources. You can beg the comic pushers for a new read. You can hit us with your Ask a Nerd question or trivia, or defend your questionable nerd tastes in front of the two-headed judge for our Defenders segment. I've got two Defenders segments up on the forums. I need somebody out there to rise to the challenge and come defend this crap. Or you can use all this contact info to ask us to review your self-published comic. Be it printed, 
digital, coded onto the spinning buffering wheel while you're trying to watch House of Cards, whatever. And don't forget to go sign up for the THN forums. It's your little piece of the ziggurat where you can discuss this week's show, discuss your favorite nephew of Donald Duck, or just rap about comics. Speaking of the forums, we've been discussing the many returns of Will Eisner's The Spirit, and Joe and I just don't get it. We need one of you guys to spell it out for us. Brian Domingos, very active on the forums. Had some very interesting stuff to say about Darwin Cooks. He's a smart guy. He liked it. He liked it a lot. If you dig the music you hear on the show, you can follow our soundtrack playlist on Spotify by searching for Matt's Spotify profile. Matt Baum is his name. Remember to follow To It A Nerd on Twitter, like our Facebook page, and watch the forums if you want to get in on the Question of the Week discussion. Then be sure to tune in to hear your answers on the Answer of the Week podcast every Wednesday. But if you need more THN in your life, get over to TwoHeadedNerd.com right now and check out a brand new installment of Charlie Tron. An open apology to DC Comics from Charlie. Really? That's right. What's he apologizing for? It's apologizing. He wants to get back together with DC. I'm sorry I hurt you, baby. Let's get back together. He did lash out in a moment of emotion and violence, I will say. And I don't blame DC if they don't ever trust him again. Listen, we don't need to dwell on it. It was like Chris Brown and Rihanna. It was bad. We don't need to dwell on it or make jokes about it. Next week, it's time to play Ask a Nerd again. So hit us with your questions before we go. Moment of silence, guys. Our weekly shout-out goes to legendary Star Trek star Leonard Nimoy, who passed away this morning at the age of 83. Of all the souls we have encountered in our travels, his was the most human. I want you to think about this for a minute. Leonard Nimoy quit smoking 30 years ago, and it still killed him. If you're still smoking, f***ing stop. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics, because your retailer just might beam you aboard his bedroom for it. This is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off. This ending, really, it was a roller coaster. <laughs> Space. The final frontier. These are the continuing voyages of the starship Enterprise. Their ongoing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life forms and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before.